Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the power of direct mail in a digital age. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Dave Fink, CEO and co-founder of Posty. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Uh, why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself, as well as what led up to you co-founding Posty, and we'll definitely get to Posty in a minute. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think based on that intro, many of your listeners probably would naturally expect that, you know, hey, Dave's a domain expert in, in direct mail, and, and that's how he spent his career. But uh, I think like many entrepreneurs who, you know, went after, you know, trying to do something different or unique or, or breathe innovation into a space, you know, I did not come from, um, from the direct mail world. And, and this was the, certainly the first business that, that I, I built or um, worked for in, in the direct mail space. But I, I do have, you know, over 20 years of consumer internet experience. And I spent my career, you know, really being born and, and growing up in this world of, you know, technology, of, you know, brands being built overnight and being able to engage directly with consumers through any number of organic or paid media channels and going from, you know, zero to hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue in what feels like overnight. Um, and I've spent, you know, those 20 years kind of oscillating back and forth between being on the brand side and leveraging all these amazing innovations in marketing and then being on the marketing technology side, building you know, technology and platforms in emerging digital spaces. So that's my background, and, and really, up it was up. It was not up until um, about six years ago when Jonathan, my, my co-founder, and I launched Posty that we had really you know started developing deep, hands-on experience in the direct mail space. And and you know, I think philosophically and how I've seen successful. Stars being built, I, I think that gave us an advantage over the industry. Well, yeah. Let's, so let's let's dive in then and start talking about our main topic, which is uh, you know direct mail in a in a digital age. So let's start. Uh, you know that that kind of led us up to you co-founding Posty. Uh, what what was the opportunity that you saw? I mean, you came from a digital digital background and um, you know certainly you know they call it snail mail and all that stuff was maybe not top of mind and and everything that was that was going on but you know what what opportunities did you see in this world that you could really improve on and, and build a business around yeah so you know it re- i wouldn't say we went into this thinking you know opportunistically at all we, we we really jumped into this as you know as a need to alleviate some real pain that that we as marketers were feeling and that the portfolio of brands that we were working with were feeling so if you rewind Back to you know 2016 or so, from from our perspective, that that was kind of the the maybe the the, the beginning of this this awakening that you know hey we're really over indexed in one singular foul point 
and and that was you know social and and you know really Facebook, you know Slack, Instagram, and you know it didn't matter whether you were a, a, a digital native challenger brand that had emerged over the last decade or whether you were a traditional brand that had been around for decades. Chances are, you know, you your mandate had been. Hey, let's build you know relationships directly with consumers, and the number one way to do that was 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 Facebook. It's where you know consumers spent all their time, and it's where all the data lived, and it's where all the the kind of ad tools um, to be really systematic in your approach lived. And and, and so it, you know it was a double edged sword. And and on one side, you know it gave us a deeper set of tools and access to data and data science and prediction and and testing and optimization at, at big scale. And that was the great part, right? And that led us you know, to spend a lot of time and energy and budget, as we all know, based on Facebook's trajectory um, in you know, uh, working that channel. But the second edge of the sword was that you know, now all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're all kind of bidding up the, the cost of ad impressions on this platform. You know, eventually Facebook really hit it, an asymptote or you know, a ceiling in, in their supply and did a great job of having, you know, a huge portion of overall ad dollars flood in. And, you know, the basic laws of supply and demand is, you know, when demand outpaces supply, rates go up. And when rates go up, you know, eventually, you know, you're going to find a place where you can no longer run profitable ad campaigns. And so for us, um, you know, that, that, that wasn't a fear that, that we were experiencing that. We, we just, I, I call it the asymptotic, you know, path to profitability, which is like, you know, hey, if, if only I could increase my ad budget on this channel by 25%, you know, we, it would be a profitable channel. But the way that, you know, bid-based marketplaces and digital work is, is in order to deploy that additional 25% of budget, chances are your ad rates are going up. And if your ad rates are going up, then you're never catching that, that point of profitability. And so for us, it, it wasn't this like, aha, let's go and reinvent direct mail, it was more of a, okay, if we have to reallocate, in some cases, millions of dollars a month in media spend in order to keep growing, and we need to do so profitably, and we want to do it in a framework that kind of aligns with our digital sensibilities, our dynamic execution, our test and optimization, our prediction, our our you know building lookalikes and leveraging our first party CRM data, you know, measuring results of every little test that we run, we had to find another channel or other channels that that would allow that. And then we needed to find another channel that not only would allow that, but would also be scalable and worth our time. Yeah. And so that led us to direct mail, where all of a sudden you have the entire addressable US market available. There's you know, great data. Um, you know, it, it, yes, was lacking innovation on the execution and how that data and, and, you know, and kind of tactics were, were being deployed. And so we just looked at it and said like, Hey, like maybe this could be one of the answers, you know, maybe we could leverage technology to bring this channel into our kind of digital lexicon and, and, and mindset. And all of a sudden open up a, a channel just as big as social, just as big as, as display, just as big as, as search. And and the, and so that was the mission. That's how we ended up in the direct mail channel. Great, right? And did you was were there any skeptics that you ran into? I mean, you know, direct mail sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, I you know, I've I've worked in the marketing world for a while, and I've actually heard some great statistics about it. But it's still it's kind of considered a dinosaur among you know some of these newer technologies and stuff. So you know, why why do you think that is? Sure. Well, I'll answer the first question um, initially, which is, were there skeptics? 
I'm sure there were. I can't, you know, point to one or two. They just, it's not super poignant because the the reality is we had the, the, a very opposite effect. Like the minute we opened our mouths and started talking to friends who were CMOs or, or VP of, of marketing or growth or acquisition or CRM at, at and some of the notable brands out there, and, and you know, we've been doing this for a long time, so you know, we had dozens and dozens of conversations, really smart people. The reaction was was exactly the same, which is, dear God, get me off of Facebook. Yeah, that was number one. And, oh, yeah, if, if you build it, we will come. Like, like we don't know if it's possible. Yeah. We're glad you're, you know, you're, you're trying it. It sounds amazing. Your mission aligns exactly with you know, our needs and our pain points right now. Like, please have at it, and um, and so you know, really from from day one, we had budgets that were kind of flowing into into the platform. We had you know willing participants looking to test. There was a lot of optimism. I would say probably the the maybe few people that may have been skeptics would have been the experienced traditional direct mail marketer who had spent you know maybe the past decade trying to break away from direct mail. Not because it wasn't a great channel, but because it was lacking, you know, tools and sophistication on on the marketing technology side, and and they were maybe you know jealous of you know all these amazing bells and whistles and capabilities that their you know digital teams down the hall um, had access to, yeah. and so you know, even those individuals, as soon as we took them through you know a platform demo and showed them what was capable, started getting excited again as well. So it, it, there was really little, very little friction. So, and, and talking about some of those technologies and that direct mail person you reference, you know, that, that may have been wanting to play with the, the latest toys and everything like that. It sounds like you, you are, you're, you know, you're definitely using some leading technologies to do that. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the technologies you're using as well as, you know, the results that you're getting? Sure. Well, on the results side, it's just, it's mind blowing to be quite honest. Yeah, you know, I can stand up on this soapbox um, and say definitively, your know, direct mail is a very powerful, scalable, and performant channel, and it's a channel that can be extremely effective anywhere in, in your marketing funnel. It can be effective in top of funnel acquisition, in growing new customers. It can be extremely effective in you know engaging and re-engaging segments within your CRM and building long-term relationships and affecting the way that that consumers engage with your brand. And it can be really effective mid-funnel, leveraging um, identity-based data and, and all the first-party you know behavioral data that that you work so hard to to drive and capture on your websites and your mobile apps. Um, from a a kind of core high level technology perspective, there are you know, three things that that we we build to and focus on uh, leveraging technology to to you know, provide excellence in. One of those is targeting. So you know, in all of the best you know, addressable ad channels, that the better the data is, the better the technology, the better the machine learning, the better the prediction and optimization and feedback loops. You know, the more effective those channels can be, and and you know, there's you know very deep first party data that can be unlocked uh, on on the direct mail channel. There's you know amazing third party data that can be unlocked on on the direct mail channel. So so we spend a lot of time thinking about you know targeting, and that leads us to to make deep investment in things like machine learning, structural data engineering, um, you know, complex mathematics. 
Um, the second bucket is is measurement, right? It's it's great to say, hey, we have this channel that can unlock, you know, incredibly effective, performant, um, you know, razor focused, you know, targeting. But if you don't have the ability to, to prove the results, then then you know, how do you know that right. that, that that's true? And so, uh, direct mail is a channel that, in most cases, allows for direct measurement, just like digital does. And in most cases, it's even cleaner and very transparent because you've direct access to the data. So we, we spend a lot of time building the tools and data visualization and insights on top of campaign performance to, to in real time, help advertisers make good decisions on what's working, what's not working. And then the third bucket is, is execution. You know, direct mail is this, you know, even done digitally is this, you know, this channel that requires complex manufacturing and logistics every time you want to deploy a campaign. Okay. It's not just you know, pixels. And, and so, you know, all the complexities around supply chain management, sourcing paper and ink, you know, third-party logistics and, and big you know, tanker trucks, you know, um, um, and containers moving, you know, mail and paper, you know, in and out of manufacturing facilities. And then, you know, liaising with, and integrating with the U.S. Postal Service, a 600,000-person organization, mm-hmm. is is complex. And so, you know, our philosophy is those are things that you know don't directly relate to marketing, and the marketer shouldn't have to think about. It. You shouldn't have to invest in becoming an expert procurement and you know and operations manager. You should be thinking about marketing challenges and marketing goals, and 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 so you know. We work very hard in in integrating and automating the full stack on kind of the back end, so the marketer doesn't have to think about those things anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great, and I would imagine that's great for a lot of marketers that are probably used to working more in digital realms. And I mean, you know, not not everybody's used to matching Pantone colors and <laughs> watching press runs and all all those kinds of things that are uh, coming up in the, in the marketing world necessarily. So to take care of all of that stuff for them probably is, is a great help. Yeah. And, and, and those are, those are amazing technologies themselves and art forms themselves. And, and, um, and there's, you know, there's tremendous amount of excellence that go into the execution component. Yeah. It just is so different uh, than thinking in terms of segmentation within your CRM or yeah. building lookalikes attached to, you know, high net worth, your high net, um, yes, spend customers or high AOV or recent purchasers, like all those, those complexities that the marketer needs to think of day in, day out in order to attack, you know, marketing goals and, and P&L goals. If we can handle, you know, the back end art form and, and science on the execution front, then um, it, it eliminates a big component of of, of time and and um, education that doesn't directly relate to the goal. Nobody's out there saying, "Hey, I want to, you know, send direct mail for the sake of sending direct mail." Right. They're saying we think that direct mail may be an answer to hitting our top line growth goals this quarter, this year, this decade, and um, and and so, um, yeah, seamlessness. And efficiency are really important. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of a lot of the companies that I work with, um, they're thinking about that. Whether you call it omni-channel, cross-channel, multi-channel, whatever it is, they're thinking about that that multi-channel customer experience, and that involves you know that involves brick-and-mortar stores, that involves 
digital, of course, but it also involves things like direct mail. And so, you know, I think that this definitely fits fits well. And I, I know, you know, you work with a lot of great brands. Do you have a maybe a success story you could share that kind of illustrates the the power of, of what you do? Sure. How much time do you have? We, we, we. <laughs> Maybe the, you know, the, the two minute version. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So one that jumps to mind that is, is I think super poignant and probably valuable for uh, most brands to hear, you know, iOS 14 rolled up, right? Um, gosh, I don't know how many months ago now, I think we're on 16 now, but um you know, that change, you know, the ability to engage and measure and target cross device. And, and that had, you know, a $10 billion negative effect on Facebook's ecosystem, right? They, I think they came out and, and that was their, their, their own statement was, you know, the iOS 14 changes to, to measurement and, and trackability had led to a $10 billion decline in ad revenue. So, so that means that there, there was $10 billion of ads that couldn't be you know, served. And, and that affected many advertisers and their growth goals and their ability to you know, effectively advertise on, on Facebook. So you know, one use case that stands out is a, a notable um, home improvement brand that we had worked with and we're probably an incremental component of their marketing stack for three, four years. All of a sudden, you know, came to us and and in one of our, our you know, weekly status calls said, Facebook doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I mean, it was full, full pause, right? It wasn't, you know, we took a 10% hit and we need to find some other channels to scale. It, it was, we can't make prospecting on Facebook work anymore. Yeah. Now I will fast forward to then, you know, to a few months later, they they retrain, you know, the algorithm changes. They were able to rebuild the channel, uh, not to the same level of scale they were at, you know, prior to iOS 14 changes. Right. But they they eventually did find some efficiency with Facebook. But in that three four month gap, when they obviously were very nervous and and did not know that they were going to be able to rebuild. You know, Facebook as a prospecting channel started leaning in much more heavily into into DM, and within you know sixty days or so had found that direct mail was you know as scalable and as efficient from a performance perspective, return on ad spend perspective, as as Facebook had been, and and all of a sudden they had this multi million dollar month channel. I think they're spending something like three million dollars a month right now in in direct mail. Uh, on prospecting alone, and even though Facebook's working, their philosophy now their philosophy is is they now have another channel. They will never be caught in a position where any one channel is making up yeah eighty percent plus of their their acquisition efforts. And and yeah, you know, we kind of looked at it and said, you know, this performance was there all along. You, know, you 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 just weren't willing yet to carve out some of your Facebook budget to to test into it. And uh, and of course we have a great relationship with them and 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 their ideas. We'll listen a little bit more closely next time. Um, <laughs> but but I think the the story is you know in a world where where you know the regulatory landscape is changing, the technology landscape um, is changing. There are real fears of Google deprecating the cookie, which would be just a, a, a massive blow to digital. Right. Um, you know the fidelity of targeting and measurement and performance. There, there are other channels out there, and Direct Mail is one of them that 
that won't be affected in the same way and that is scalable, is performant, and, and now has the, the, the same technology available to, you know, as is available in, in search and social, programmatic, email, et cetera. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, what you're saying also touches on just the general idea of diversity in marketing. You know, I mean, I saw another stat with small businesses that 81% of them rely on email as their primary customer acquisition channel. So, okay, so what if email stops working as effectively, just like the Facebook example that you gave, and to your point, you know, they're still having massive losses of ad revenue, which means their advertisers are are certainly not performing as well, even if they've made some improvements and, and adjustments. So what would your advice be to, you know, think about, I mean, you know, I think diversity in all things is is beneficial, but, you know, diversity in marketing mix, you know, what, what would your advice be to someone, a brand maybe that is is reluctant to, to shift those dollars? Like what's a way for them to get started? Yeah, it's not an option. I mean, you just, you have to, to diversify your marketing stack, you you have to stop drinking, you know, the Kool Aid um, on just focusing on on what's hot and yeah. thinking holistically about you know, your brand, your business, your customers, the co- yeah the prospects that are out there, and and then and then you know take it take the approach of thinking about. De-risking your marketing stack by by not thinking about hey we have to make me you a know, Facebook or, or Instagram work or TikTok work but rather you know where are our customers spending time what are the specific you know ways that we can engage with them in, in meaningful ways you know, what are the platforms that give us the ability to do this efficiently and if we find success can scale um, you don't want to be spending too much time you know working on a, a you know putting a ton of effort optimizing a channel that might perform, but that can't scale. And, and you just, nothing stays, you know, constant, you know, I, I don't, don't want to date myself too much, but you know, I've, I've been, been in, in kind of the, the digital consumer internet world since 1999. There's, you know, there's always a new shiny channel or new right. technology <laughs> that technology always ends up getting set or that platform always ends up getting saturated. And because yeah, it becomes you know harder and harder to to rely on. There's always another emerging channel. Yeah, you know, the last decade's been a little bit different because it's been you know the decade of consolidation within you know Facebook and Google, right? To behemoths that capture about eighty five you know cents in every dollar of digital ad spend. And and so you know, there there was a while there that we were looking and, and saying, hey, you know this this seems like it's going to last forever. Like Facebook's never going to go away. Right. And, and it certainly felt that way. And then, and then, it, and then it did, right. It didn't go away, but it, things changed, became harder, became less profitable. In many cases it became unprofitable and it's just a component of, of, of scale and volume. It's not a, 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 you know, ROI driver. And, and so, you know, I think the easiest path to, you know, getting, you know, getting training your own mind, training your marketing team, training your exec team to think about, you know, a willingness to constantly be, be, you know, you know, testing and exploring is not to come and have to create a, a forum where you're, you're always fighting to, for more ad dollars or more experimentation dollars, but rather, you know, from the start, carve out a percentage of your budget that is earmarked for experimentation. So, you know, you're working in Q4 to create your, 
2023, you know, media, um, you know, uh, budget instead of, you know, building the budget and then going to fight for incremental dollars later on, carve out 20% of, of your 2023 budget earmark it for experimentation. Don't put an ROI target on it. And, and, and then moving forward, you know, throughout the year, then the decision becomes where do we want to allocate the 20% this month or this quarter? It's not, can we get the budget to test something? Yeah. And it's just a little bit of a, a different shift in thinking, but it then sets your organization up for, to, to never be like this, you know, home services business where all of a sudden Facebook's algorithm changes, Google deprecates the cookie, Google's algorithm changes, and all of a sudden your biggest media channels don't work. And now you're rebuilding from 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 scratch. You, you have experiments going on already. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, that advice about, you know, setting aside the 20%. I mean, you know, we're on the agile brand podcast here. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of agile, iterative, continuous improvement, you know, all, all of that stuff. And I think to your point, to plan to have that ability to be able to test and do pilot projects, proofs of concept, whatever you want to call them, that could eventually turn into something that is part of the marketing mix. I, I think that's that's great advice. Yeah, for sure. And, and even within the channels that are working for you, you should be allocating you know test budget to test new ads, new yeah. targets, new models, new segments. Not because you're expecting them all to deliver you know any you know, incremental ROI, but because you never know when that model or that ad campaign is going to stop performing, and you always want to have you know. Um, you know, something to fall back on. You always want to, you know, A, you know, certainly try and find performance gains, but but B, um, kind of hedge hedge your bet. And um, and so, yeah, that ex- experimental budget can be for a new channel, it can be for new creative, it can be for new targeting, can be for a completely different use case, um, and any of those things. And, and throughout a year, you should be able to experiment a lot. That, yeah, that, that, that really is our job and our mission as, as marketers, that the world changes, consumer behavior, sentiment changes and, and technologies and channels that consumers are engaging with change too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, one last question before we wrap up. You've already given plenty of great tips and, and advice already, but any additional advice for marketers as they navigate the months ahead? You know, we're, we're coming up on the end of the year. We're coming up on, well, continued uncertainty about, you know, certainly many things. Any, any advice for marketers for the months ahead? Sure. I think one piece that um, is a little bit of a of a cheat code, call it, is you know every single marketer and every single brand is going through the same you know same thing, right? Yeah. They're going yeah. through the same set of channels. They're going through the same you know fears and concerns. They're they're you know they're kind of dealing with the same macro things, but they're each exposed to micro things as well. Um, you know they've chosen to test or experiment with you know, something unique compared to competitors or other marketers at, at like companies. Um, yeah, they've read slightly different articles. They have different backgrounds or perspectives. And collectively, there's a lot of information and knowledge out there. So I, I think something that's become harder in a you know post-COVID world, but is now maybe you know, re-emerging is the idea of, of networking and building professional you know, networks to, um, to, to be able to kind of learn from, you know, if you're meeting up with 10 VP of marketings or 10 marketing directors or 10 CMOs or whatever level you're at, and you're doing that weekly or monthly, 
um, or you have a Slack channel that you can all pop in on, you know, you, now you've 10 times the knowledge base, um, 10 times the data to learn from. So I think, you know, as you're making decisions on where you're interested in leaning in, in the coming months, quarters, years, you, you shouldn't be living in a vacuum. So I, I, I think you know, trust, trust the greater market. Wonderful. Yeah. Love it. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, so so we try hard to publish great content on our website and our blog, which can be found at postie.com, P-O-S-T-I-E.com. For me personally, trying to get a bit more active in in um, the content that I'm sharing on, on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn and LinkedIn Messenger is a, a really great professional platform for me, really easy way to connect and engage. And, and um, my handle is David L. Fink. And um, yeah, we can share those in, in the show notes with you as well. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Dave Fink, CEO and co-founder of Posty for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.